Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Gleb Polyakov, co-founder and CEO of Niles. Damn it. Let me start that again. I butchered your name. No worries. It's, it's Nihilus. Nihilus. I know. I realize I butchered both of them. Nihilus. And then say it one more time. Uh, Polyakov. 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 Yeah. Polyakov. Nihilus. All right. Robbie, you got to start over, buddy. You got to edit this part out. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're joined by Gleb Polyakov, co-founder and CEO of Nihilus. Nihilus is a pioneer and leading provider of productivity infrastructure solutions for modern software. Nihilus has over 50,000 developers worldwide, utilizing their platform to quickly and securely build productive features into their application. Gleb is a two-time entrepreneur and began his journey studying physics at Georgia Tech and became a, began a career in finance where he became a senior financial analyst and ran 14 successful campaigns serving as a crowdfunding director, raising more than $1.2 million. He brings years of experience to the table for Nihilus with advanced skill sets in business development, sales, product development, B2B, SaaS, and operations. Gleb leads strategy, operations, and product innovation for the company's communication API platform. He has used his unique talents and skill sets to lead Nihilus from consumer-facing software to a back-end API that catapulted Nihilus into a large, success that it is today we are so pumped to have gleb on the podcast so welcome my friend yeah awesome glad to be here thanks for having how, me on how do we do on that uh that intro that was a lot of uh, technical stuff a bunch of technical stuff yeah no i mean i think like the easiest way to explain what we do is that we are that api infrastructure for accessing high value data and helping you use it to um really quickly build your application so whatever productivity use case you want, um, our sort of goal is to make it as easy as possible to build against the end goal, like the productivity outcome that you're trying to achieve in your business flow and your business product. So okay. we help you connect with email, calendar, contacts, documents, files, um, SMS messages, push notifications, really anything that is the surface area of any business interaction. Got it. Okay, we'll dive a little bit more into that later because I still need some help understanding that world. Uh, but let's just back up a little bit. How, how, tell us, how did you get into this? How did you start this company? Yeah, absolutely. No, I actually had the chance. Uh, I was coming off of my previous company, which was uh, IoT Play in the hardware space. We made a, uh, a home espresso machine for uh, 200 bucks that was just as good as a $20,000 commercial machine. Wow. Uh, you know, long, long story short, we ended up uh, running out of money and selling to a larger manufacturer. But then when I was looking for uh, my next opportunity, I threw a friend at MIT and got connected to Christine Spang. She's the, uh, my other co-founder and CTO here at Nihilus. Um, and I was just super impressed, not only by the, the technology she was working on, uh, which obviously super huge opportunity, super good technology, but also by her as a person. Uh, and it seemed like a, a good fit, both on the business and uh, culture side. So uh, we joined forces from there. I came on as the uh, first non-engineer, the first evil business guy on the Nihilus team. <laughs> uh, and we've been, been growing the business ever since. I think when I came on, it was maybe uh, five or six people uh, on the team full time. Um, and originally, the interesting part is that uh, one of the original visions for the business was to build an email client. Um, strategically, we were trying to go down that route. Uh, so almost like a, like a superhuman or a mailbox. This was way back in like 2014, 2015. So it was like right after Dropbox had uh, acquired Mailbox. Okay. Um, and to do that, the first thing we had to do was to create, you know, the architecture on the back end that allows us to really, really quickly make flexible front end components to do the um, app infrastructure. And also, more importantly, and a much harder technical lift is the back end uh, connectivity, parsing and automation that lets you structure and work with um, the really complex world of email data, calendar data, contacts data, files and attachments, et cetera. So we uh, built our current platform first. It's uh, what we um, still are in the market with today, but originally we were building it as a sort of a stepping stone for us to get to the email client side of things. Okay. Um, 
why did you guys start, why did you guys start there why was that your focus uh w- w- which part you said focusing on email right yeah that's right well because the idea there is email is far and away the largest data store on earth it ah. is one of the most ubiquitous it is uh the repository of just universes of content it's the database of how both personally and professionally folks live their life um and it's just insanely hard to get at the contents in a useful way so um email is this fun thing that's been around for 50 years uh, i don't know if you've ever played uh like mass effect or any other space games but i think every interpretation of sci-fi uh in the future shows email being there uh in the future as well despite you know even since yeah, 1976 people have been saying that email sign next year it just keeps growing there's like five billion wow four and a half billion uh people using email today actively and that number is just growing so the difficulty is because it's been around so long because uh there have been so many different standards providers structures etc um if you actually look at the like in gmail like the show original button especially on a thread you'll see a yeah. huge block of really messy text. Uh, you'll see that threads are repeated, comments are repeated, um, different formats are used. It's really hard, really impossible, really for a human to read and really hard for a machine to read uh, even. So our whole thing is uh, we started with email. We wanted to build an email client. We had to build a um, universal data engine that just parsed out and pulled out the structure from any huge blob of text that has value in it uh, that you want to get out of it and then do things from. Um, and that became the uh, core gem of our IP as a whole that we then continued to plug in additional data stores, interaction methods into uh, to make sure that we are focusing on letting the developer do as much as possible, as fast as possible on top of the most valuable business data stores. So who's your customer? Developers? Developers. That's right. Yeah, so we are very much uh, focused on selling to the developer audience. Um, developer signups are a core metric that we track. So I, we had, um, I want to say around 50,000 50, additional developer signups in the past year. Um, and we're, we're sort of accelerating that. It's a product that, um, if you look at the way a lot of these flows are done today, I'm not sure how, how many of these like B2B companies you're familiar with, whether it's the... Um, Oh, levers, dial pads, ceridians of the world, Atlassian. Um, these are yeah. folks that have to uh, build out flows that simplify customer engagement, data entry, and um, the business logic that connects the two together. Uh, and that's what we allow folks to do. So um, traditionally, developers spend I mean, years weaving together different partial solutions, whether it's like an in-house connection to a Gmail API or, you know, Clearbit or Bombora for intent data. Um, maybe they're using Kong, maybe they're doing manual entry. Maybe they have like a tray for integration or a UI path for automation and uh, they build their own interface in-house or whatever, right? You have to weave together a whole universe of different tools, which they usually have to do that over a series of years, different engineering teams, different product managers. And because a lot of those companies focus on um, sort of like solving the, the lighter lifts first. How do I get point data from point A to point B? Um, that's what makes folks have to do so much. Uh, yeah. And our sort of vision was that having the data and doing something with the data shouldn't be this like epic journey where uh, all <laughs> the components are like fragmented to the seven corners of the earth and you have to assemble this like uh, heroic team of product managers and developers and go on a quest together to put them together. It's just like, let's focus on the outcome. Let's give folks the atomic unit of productivity they need. And we sort of see productivity as being the outcome of structured data and efficient process. If you provide folks with both those two pieces, uh, that's how you can get them uh, to be effective, productive, especially at the developer level quickly. So the position we have is that connecting and collecting data, well, that's the easy part, but putting it to work, that's the hard part. And if you look at other potential solutions, they're limited because they only solve um, the, the easiest technical problems and still leave a lot of glue work for folks to do in the middle. And instead, we sort of took the unifying theme of like, all right, so we're looking at business interactions. We're looking at how do people interact with data with each other? Um, and what means do they use to interact? They interact through email, through a Slack, through um, sending attachments back and forth, scheduling calendar events for meetings for um, that, that category of things. And what makes yeah. that useful is being able to pull out that structured content that like um, 
here's a snippet of text. Here's the intent data behind it. Here's the sentiment analysis score for this content. Um, here's like a AI um, model that allows you to very quickly pull out like the, okay, give me every uh, merchant and tracking number that's in the inbox. And also give me the workflow and end uh, user interface that I need to surface that information to my customer, FlexSplit. Um, doing that all in one spot is what I mean by uh, democratizing productivity. I'm sure like you've heard of people democratizing access to data. Yeah. All that means is um, folks can access data at all and they can access it in a structured way that they can then do something with. Um, we did that five years ago when we first built the API. And so that's the direction we want to keep heading in. We want to keep giving people more and more functional, extensible, modular units uh, on the developer side to access that high value, non-linear enterprise data that exists within the contents of uh, the business interactions. Uh, and gotcha. that's a big difference between us and like the, some other providers you might might see out there. So obviously they're the, they're the some amazing companies. Uh, Twilio um, is one of our favorites. Uh, we have Mark Borditsky, their CRO as one of our board advisors. Um, they focus on making it as easy as possible to do outbound communications at scale. Um, we focus much more on the um, non-broadcast communication. So as opposed to like a, a send grid use case where you're uh, sending out as many um, messages as possible, these password reset emails, these marketing newsletters, um, we focus on the one-to-one -one and many-to-many -many interactions. So when you absolutely need a response, when it's not enough to say like, okay, well, deliverability is 80% and then we got a 20% response rate and that's fine because that's all going to our top of funnel. When you're a uh, hiring manager and you're trying to schedule an interview to make sure that you uh, are giving a candidate the best experience possible when you're in the logistics space and you're trying to make sure that um, the high value interactions that you're trying to drive uh, in your logistics flow are being done effectively. If you're a um, doctor in the healthcare space um, or a company that's powering the vaccine distribution, then we allow you to do that uh, super quickly because you need a response. You need to know what's going on and to drive that all quickly and automatically because I, I'll, I'll pause right there. I've been monologuing a lot. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. I'm, I'm just trying to get my brain to keep up. Um, what I'm curious about, if I want to back up just a second, is when you joined the company and the team's like five or six at that time, mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was the biggest challenge to taking that initial business as it was at that day, the team as it was at that size, what was the challenge or the opportunity that you saw to scale it from where it was then to where it's now? Yeah, no, absolutely. Great question. So uh, I mentioned that originally we were building that uh, email client. Uh, we actually did end up building it. We launched it. We got, I, I want to say like just over half a million users in the first six months on it. Wow. Uh, awesome. But what we noticed was that the um, unit economics around male clients weren't great. Um, maybe it was the way we had built ours and it wasn't awesome. But when we looked at like comparable benchmarks to you know, the mailboxes, the, the superhumans out there, it's roughly the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, people love trying new email tools. They love it. Um, yeah. They hate paying for them. Um, so at the six month mark, we had like 30 or 40% churn on the user end. Uh, and that just kept getting worse and worse. Um, Plus there was a ton of pricing resistance. Um, I think like the really successful companies in that uh, and uh, email client space, uh, FrontApp is an awesome example, great company. Um, they focus on like industry specific verticals that allow like customer success teams to have a shared inbox. They go okay. a little bit more um, verticalized as opposed to being like a general email client. Uh, and I think that's the reason it's because like people already pay for email. Uh, they have an email client preference and you'll get like a stable audience of a core group of folks. Um, but strategically, our business was focused around structuring unstructured data and making it easy for developers to do things on it. Uh, so at the same time as we had the email client out, we had the um, API itself uh, that we open sourced, put out into the, into the world. Uh, we got, you know, I think like 35,000, maybe 40,000 now uh, stars on GitHub around it. And um, just by myself, I didn't have a, a sales team or a marketing team under me yet. Uh, we were able to get that above uh, a million in ARR on the API side. Whoa. So yeah, no, it was awesome. So while we had the email client that had a huge churn issue and you know, if you have 40% churn, then that is a upper bound on how much revenue you could ever grow to. Um, 
while on the API side, we had huge, huge expansion, huge, huge stickiness. Um, once customers build us in, they keep using us. We, they, they stick around. Our gross dollar has always been above 98%. And it's, it's a highly expansive product because um, once we show our customers that uh, you know, we can power your email usage here, we can power your, your file management here, we can do X, Y, Z thing, almost certainly because we're talking to this universe of business interactions, yeah. uh, you're going to have additional use cases. So they expand into our additional data types. We show them how easy it is to use, how quickly they can launch to market. Um, and that allows us to really drive a ton of expansion, both, both across um, folks using more and more of our data types, more and more of our additional product lines, and just because we're powering their growth. Because the most modern startups, the modern apps that have uh, these now table stakes features around automations are built on top of Nihilus. So if I'm hearing you correctly, when you first started, you were the solo sales yes. force, right? Yes. How in the world did you go out and generate that much business? Um, it's, we have a very inbound driven model. So uh, the wonderful thing about developers is that they're looking for the tools that are most useful to them. Um, mm. People say all the time that like, oh, developers hate sales, developers hate marketing. And it's like, that is not true. What developers hate is people who waste their time. Developers hate authenticity and they hate bullshit. But my question to you is like, why is your sales and marketing doing any of those three things? If you can prove mm. that you can help developers out, that you can, that you have the tool, the structure that like gets them to their end goal rapidly, quickly, and in a way that makes it clear on their own how they would do it, um, then you can build a really long term relationship with that audience. How did you How did you initially get in front of them so they even knew you existed, and then chose to take some kind of step to get to know your product or service? Yeah, I, I think like the open source community is huge there. So uh, yeah. we had our GitHub repos up and available. We had, um, I mean, our early on, we, we didn't have a, a tremendous amount of contact, but uh, just driving awareness to the website um, through blogs, like technical content, like here's a, a profiler that we wrote in Python that allows you to like measure and um, help you see load. Here's like the way that you, um, this was like years ago, but like, here's the way you like set up uh, playbooks in Ansible. Um, this is the way that you like access this and that type of email data. Like if you wanted to, you know, yeah. uh, build Calendly in a weekend, if you wanted to build all of Salesforce in a weekend, here's how you do it in a way that gives wow. you all those like automatic email syncing functionality, all that automatic parsing task management, um, you know, uh, outreach style, sales off style cadences that go out, uh, on automatic drips with conditional functions, all of that we allow you to do with very light lift. So uh, in about a sprint with one or two engineers, you can have that built out and into the market. Man, you are clearly a brilliant person. Uh, here's my question for you. What, what skills since joining Nihilus and being a part of its growth and scale, what skills have you had to develop along the way for you to do the role that you're doing for you to continue to support the business in the way that it needs from you? Yeah, no, awesome question. I mean, the, um, at a hyper growth company, right? Like the, the job changes every three months, um, at the very least every six months, but right. about every quarter, right? You're constantly growing your team. I, like if we look in 2020, we went from uh, around 50, 55 folks to about 150 people uh, on the headcount wow. side. And it's just continual changes in everything from, oh, how should we run like the, the processes and um, of a company? Like, oh, you go from all hands every week to two weeks to every month. Uh, how should we like set the culture, the operating norms and all that? And um, we early on focused really strongly on this collaboration, transparency, focus on the customer and focus on like velocity through the sense of like, don't worry if you fail, fail quickly and try again. Like engineering, mm -hmm entirely is just the story of earnest failure. Uh, so let's learn as much as we can and go as fast as we can to make sure that we're doing right by our developer audience and that we're delivering the, the best pro product possible. And on transparency side, the cultural side, um, like we have our, our values up on GitHub, you can see the revision history because you can uh, sort of see how the evolution happened over time and why. Um, and the core idea there is like, People come to companies, they want to feel empowered, they want to have agency, they want to see that their work and efforts have um, driven impact to both the you know, success of the business on the financial side and the um, 
impact and meaning the business has worldwide, like the, the wealth and value you're generating for your customers. Uh, I love seeing sure, that. Sure. And that's, that's kind of the sexiest thing to me about infrastructure. Uh, a lot of people say, ah, oh, it's so boring. It's like, no, <laughs> I get to go out and see like legitimately just fascinating use cases being po powered by our technology. I could, for Christmas once um, at my uh, wife's house, they bought um, grandma a like LCD picture panel uh, where you sort of you email uh, pictures from your phone yep. through the uh, panel and then they pop up in the panel and like I was like this is so cool I wonder how they're doing it and then I I, go, I looked in our Salesforce like oh they're a customer of ours they're doing that on top of us that's no so cool. no it's great uh, that's I, awesome <laughs> we uh, we've been also like privileged enough to help with the uh, coronavirus relief effort we're powering the um, or helping power rather uh, for a lot of our actual healthcare partners. Um, the vaccine distribution process uh, for uh, around 20 million or so vaccines across a couple dozen states um, with several uh, different business partners. So um, that's the type of impact that infrastructure can make. And when we look again at our past year, the coolest stat, uh, it was just I, like past week or two, we pulled this up. Uh, we powered the interactions between over 170 million unique people. Wow. We've 170 million, uh, 171 million, I guess, uh, unique people have meaningful conversations or have um, meaningful productive interactions. And I love that. Wow. What about what about the growth and evolution of the business has been most challenging for you personally or personality wise? Um, wh wh where have you felt some of that? Like, man, I had to like really grow and evolve here or, you know, that that need took a lot out of me. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, definitely the, the communication side, the empathy side, the, the, the leadership side as well as, I mean, this is the, the largest business now that I've, I've ever had the privilege of running. And uh, I am I mean, pretty blessed to have a group of absolutely world-class advisors and investors in the business to help make sure that we're um, and at the very least, not making some of the mistakes that they've made, but yeah. uh, in the best case, uh, making sure that we live up to our potential. So I, I mentioned Mark, he's a CRO over at Twilio. We've also have some awesome folks like uh, John Chambers, who's the chairman emeritus uh, over at Cisco. Um, we have Alan Lewin, who is the um, former CTO over at ServiceNow and runs all of engineering for Slack. Uh, we have Tony Fidel, who is the former CEO over at Nest uh, and a bunch of other folks who have been deeply gracious with their time to help us make sure the business is successful. Um, and then I think for me, like on a personal level, I'd say it's been around um, how do I um, make sure I'm being both effective and empathetic at the same time, like without going too far into like the ruinous empathy or too far into like the, Oh, you're just a huge asshole. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we, call, we, we, we often refer to that as the calibration of support and challenge, mm. right? That you got these two things that we need to somehow calibrate together where I'm offering you relationship and empathy and support, yet I also am clearly expecting results and responsibility on your end. I challenge you to perform. Um, that, that, that's a calibration. We can go one way or the other and, and end up into different kinds of mistakes, right? Um, how has that journey been for you learning to calibrate those things? I know it's all work in progress and we're still working on it, but can you, yeah. can you speak to I mean, that? It's all like a, a one step at a time type of thing, right? Sure. So I think like the, the really helpful um, snippets or sound bites for me have been like, uh, one, it's actually way, way more kind uh, to be clear with expectations and goals and mm -hmm. to really immediately hold folks accountable to it. It's not in any way to say, hey, like, this is my expectation. Did you know that this was my expectation? Yeah. Uh, cool. If you didn't know that, then um, let's talk through why you didn't, uh, weren't able to meet that. Like, what challenges do you have? Great. Um, next time, here's what I need to make sure happens on this exact timeline with these results. Please make sure that happens. And then if they say, hey, I, I just didn't know that was your uh, expectation. Like, well, that's, that's on me. <laughs> that's on me. <laughs> yeah the goals better and I think oh that's a, a good theme as well like the importance of making sure that everyone at the company is aligned around that same set of goals uh, this year at our company we're focusing super heavily on developer experience scaling and making sure that we're driving uh, go-to-market 
excellency. And a, really a big part of that, but what I mean is I want everyone at the company to understand our customer journey, our user journey, as they uh, go to the product, uh, why they're buying. And especially I want everyone at the company to understand why their contribution, their impact ties up into our broader goals and to mm. the company's success. Ah, oh, it's so good. I love that phrase. It's kind to be clear on expectations. That, that's, a, that's a soundbite I'm going to remember uh, because you're right. There's so much frustration and sometimes bitterness that can happen because of a lack of clarity on the expectations. It's like, you let me down, but you didn't even know you were letting me down. You didn't even know that was a thing I was measuring or expecting, right? Um, how have you guys worked on getting clarity? Because sometimes that's hard. It's hard to get clarity on what is my expectation for you or your role and how do I give you effective feedback? Like we call it a cadence of accountability. What is our cadence of accountability? Like when are we following up with you on this and how do we follow up with you on that? How did you guys go about starting to, to implement that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Honestly, I think of what one thing that really, really helped us refine that in is that we were always very much a remote friendly uh, or distributed team from the beginning. And the reason I say that helps is, um, I mean, especially in, in the last year as we've all had to go um, remote, like I'm fairly heavily. Yeah. The um, friction I've seen with a lot of other entrepreneurs, a lot of other business owners, especially folks that are in more of a, um, you know, non-startup, more traditional business environment is it put them in a ton of stress. Like they had this mental mindset of, okay, I have to uh, be there to, to manage the team. I'm losing like a, a level of in-person accountability. I'm losing a level of efficacy I have as a manager. I'm losing yeah. like intangible, like everyone gets together and it's more productive moment. Um, and sort of my strong position is that like, nah, if you're, if you're having to be there in person to manage, it's because you don't know how to set goals. Um, it's because you're not sure how to make those goals clear enough and then hold people accountable to them. And so you have to do that in person. I'm not saying that that is like a, in a toxic way. Um, I'm sure it, right. it does work quite well. It's just that um, when you're growing a business super quickly, the importance of the clarity of goals um, is, is foremost. And it's like, if you can focus on the outcome you want to drive, that also allows you to really free up um, the, the teams, the responsible individuals, the directors, the ICs, the managers, whoever you're talking about, to drive the how um, behind it on their own, which then drives the yeah. agency, which then gives a better sense of impact. And it com all comes back to down to clear goal setting. And I, I by no means want to say that we, we've always done that correctly. It's absolutely iterative process. We get better at it each and every time. I want to say that uh, Q1 of this year was the very first time that we got our OKRs done ahead of the quarter beginning. So uh, that's nice instead of the first two weeks of it. But um, it's so important. I need to keep focusing on yeah. it because like, it just drives that, that agency across the, the, the team. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a quote from a guy named Dr. Henry cloud, where he says the mist in the leader's mind becomes the cloud in the organization. Mm. So anywhere it's like anywhere the leader is fuzzy and not clear, it becomes this cloud that everyone else has to live in and kind of bump against each other. And when we do get clarity and get clarity for the organization, people now, like you said, it drives some autonomy. Like, if you just t tell me like high performers love to know where are we going, what's the goal, and then let me figure it out how to get there, right? Like, let me just drive the result. And that sounds like the kind of team and the, and the culture you guys are creating. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I, I like the way you say that. Yeah, the, the um, another, another soundbite I've heard in, the, in that same vein is that you ship your org chart. Hmm. Uh, your company becomes the, the people you have at the top and the way they think. And yeah. uh, then you have to uh, make sure that you're focusing on not only developing yourself if you're in a leadership role, but making sure that everyone under you is focused on growth professionally and personally. And it's that like integration of uh, work-life balance, work-life integration, um, the interplay between like, I don't necessarily believe that we're completely different people at home than we are at work. And I think mm. like benefits in one area benefit the other two. Um, and for us as a business, where that comes into play is like we focus very strongly on um, DNI transparency, collaboration on the uh, I mean, in almost everything we do. So um, that means everything from you know the metrics around uh, underrepresented minorities, gender diversity, um, making sure that you know people of, of different backgrounds, people who are more neurodiverse, people from um, the LGBTQ community um, all have a space at Nihilus. And um, it seems like such an obvious 
advantage and win not only are you getting access like broader populations of, of people yeah. like um if you're you know not hiring women you're missing out on 50 percent of the workforce so what are you doing right um, but you're getting uh, more uh, what do you what's the right way to say it? You're, you're getting more interesting outcomes more interesting discussions more interesting perspectives and points of view yes um, and plus like just ethically morally we're that's who we are as, as a company even if, sure. if there weren't <laughs> extreme benefits to it um i think we would still um be going down that path but the cost of it is interesting so i see a, a ton of folks and i've had this conversation with a lot of those advisors um I see a lot of companies that have, okay, we've got a, a bunch of white dudes who all went to Stanford and there is an advantage to that. It's not that like um, they make better decisions necessarily, but the advantage is they have a um, ingrained set of operating norms that yeah. they go with directly. So like communication is less frictionful. Um, our, our way, our focus on, on the DNI side comes with a huge focus on the empathy and communication piece because you're bringing in folks that like by design have different backgrounds, different perspectives, yeah. different life experiences, different, you know, um, sets of traumas that they've encountered both in the workforce and their personal lives that color the way they see the world. And so it becomes much more, um, pressing and urgent and important, important of a project to make sure that you're constantly defining and redefining, all right, what are the ways we work together? What is most important to us as a business? What are our do's and don'ts? And how can we make sure that we're, uh, especially as we're, you know, tripling headcount every year, uh, how do we make sure that we're keeping the, what works at any given scale and figuring out what we should be going towards next? Yeah. So I've got two questions. I'll start with the one that came last, which is what have you found to be most effective in helping along that collaboration, right? Because you're right, the benefit vastly outweighs the cost. The benefit is a variety of perspectives, skill sets, personalities that are just going to bring so much great complexity to creativity and that kind of thing and, and even productivity. But the challenge is different backgrounds, different ways of seeing the world, different experiences, different communication styles. What have you guys seen that's been effective in helping people navigate that and finding, finding that connection point, um, whether it's in, in just how, how we work together or how we communicate, anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of how my brain works, right, like I'm a super structural thinker. I love, love, love anything that's like, here's a subject that has multidimensional fields, like hundreds of different dimensions that uh, complex processes with like a bunch of different things um, that you just don't really know how to figure out in real life. Uh, and then you, through iterations or process, try to pull out that like core structure in the background mm. um, that makes it work. So like physics, uh, I love it, love physics, uh, economics, linguistics, like these types of um, disciplines where you're focused on like, how can I model a really complex space uh, in a simpler way that then allows me to have a better understanding on like the unifying themes behind it and an ability mm. to pull those levers. So in terms of um, applying that abstract concept into, into that uh, startup question you're asking, yeah. comes down to like, well, why do people join startups that are hyper growth? Um, they join because, well, they want to get rich. They want to make sure they're making money and um, advancing their careers. Um, and they want to make sure that they're having an impact that they're able to learn and exert a sense of mastery over what they're doing to get an outsized result. Yeah. Um, that's why folks are here at the end of the day. Um, if they can do that in a place where they feel uh, you know, safe being human beings, safe making mistakes, that all goes towards business benefits. Um, but ultimately folks are there because it's a career. And so what's the right way to do it? You focus on the organizational outcomes. You make sure your goals are clear. Here's what we have to achieve. And then, uh, well, uh, this is the way we've done it at least. We've focused on that business component. Here's what we're trying to get to. Here's why this is important because it will do X, Y, Z for the business. Here's why we need to fix this because it's causing X, Y, Z problem for the business. Mm. Um, we have this opportunity in PDQ arena to really, really improve our developer experience or our customer support by doing this thing. Um, and then it's been for us, not really any one discrete golden bullet, silver bullet. Um, it's just been a... a tons and tons of just regular lead bullets as as issues have come up we've uh talked about them dealt with them and i think like the core thing has been approaching it from like a, oh this person has very reasonable perspectives um treating people like adults saying like oh if you're concerned tell me why let's talk about yeah. it um sometimes you you have explanations where it's like yeah i i completely understand why you're concerned about that your company's position is this 
I understand why that's making you feel that direction, but my expectation and the way I want to take this business is to do X, Y, Z thing. Um, and if that doesn't work for you, then maybe this is not the right place to be right now. Um, cause ultimately my whole personal motivator is the, the people aspect, like a, a huge sci-fi geek. Um, I think I've probably uh, mentioned it a couple of times already, uh, here, but I love things like the, you know, the Star Treks, the, the Fireflies, the Mass Effects, places yes. where there are these like diverse groups of folks that come together and like have been told they can't accomplish anything. And against all odds, they uh, achieve something greater uh, together by focusing on their similarities and the ways that they can collaborate. Like that just, ah, gets me so excited. Uh, and getting to work with like other smart people makes that really, really fun. Um, and I see my job as CEO is to make everyone in the business as rich and famous as they want to be. And the leading, or I'm sorry, the, the indicator of that, whether or not I've been successful is like 10 years from now, when folks are no longer at the company, no longer at Nihilus, yeah. I want Nihilus to be on their resume and for the world to know like, oh shit, that's an amazing engineer. That's one of the best salespeople out there. That's a world-class marketer. Um, because that's, I believe, like how you drive the value at the end of the day. It's a little yeah. bit of a lacking indicator, but uh, that's what I'm driving towards. And so, yeah, just approaching those conversations with a perspective of like, hey, we're all adults here we're working here because this is a business with this outcome and this goal. Um, here's our like philosophy and perspective around it. Um, is that all right with you? Either yes or no. And that becomes like the way that you start building slowly over many years, these like sets of operating norms, principles, the way folks speak to each other, the way that like um, ICs can bring ideas up, collaborate cross departmentally. Um, it's been a very slow refinement of a um, very abstract vision over time for us. Yeah, I love that, man. It's cool. It's cool to see your love of the business, the business goal, the product, which was came through so clearly at the beginning. It's it's something you've thought a lot about, something you geek out on. I use that word endearingly because every time I talk about what okay. I do, I'm like, I geek out on this. Like, I, I I love human performance. I love people development, that kind of thing, right? Yet you also have that side of you too, where you like you said, I love people. I love the culture that we're creating. I love developing people. Um, at this size company, right? Is typically where you start to see people in leadership positions for the first time, where power is 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 getting beyond just the few at the top, and it's starting to be more and more influential people all down throughout the ranks. What have you guys done to develop those internal leaders, and what's still the challenge at what at the stage of of business you're at right now? Yeah, good question. Um, we do a good amount of well so some of the tactics we've used have been things like uh regular retros on things that work that don't work making sure that we have the, the 360 review style that allows folks to give upwards uh feedback get a full perspective um across their performance um we have a, a education budget for both the personal and professional side of things cool. that can deploy for uh the I would say most of our leaders, uh, especially the ones that uh, were coming up internally, instead of you know being hired in from a, a place where they obviously had uh, more leadership experience, we give them the, the management training, the executive coaching that they need to really grow and up level quickly. Um, and just making sure that you emphasize like, hey, I expect great things from you. And I think you're capable of achieving a lot of great things. And what I'm looking for is not like perfect execution in any way. What I'm looking mm. for is that you do your best and that you learn quickly from any mistakes that are made, that you exhibit growth and um, Come on. velocity. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Instilling that growth mindset in there that you mentioned even earlier too, like getting people to not be as afraid of failure uh, in, in what they're doing. That's a hard thing to do. Super hard. It's, it's hard to get them over that knee jerk fear of failure. Let's, let's be really risk averse. I don't want to embarrass myself. Uh, how do you help people overcome that? Um, I don't know if I have a great playbook for it, uh, yeah. other than like repeating the same thing over and over again, but you know, repetition doesn't ruin the prayer. Uh, it's one of those things where almost every other structure in our lives, uh, us that it's not okay to make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, the person that gets a hundred on the test is clearly better and more productive than the person that gets like a 92 is like, absolutely not. There's nothing in like business world that reinforces that. What matters mm. is like, did you accomplish the outcome? Not did you like crush every like small intermediate step along the way. It's like, did you accomplish the outcome? Is the customer happy? Are your stakeholders happy? If they are, great. It's very much a pass fail situation. Yeah, come on. I love that. I'm curious uh, 
one thing I want I wanted to at least dive into some is your unique background, right? Coming coming uh, as an immigrant to this company, uh, to this to this country first. Your eclectic taste, like I love that you love from what I can tell, motorcycles and space and you know developing and tech and all this kind of stuff. You're just an eclectic person from an eclectic background. How have you seen that shape your your role and function in the company? Where does that influence how you think and how you see the world that you're operating yeah. in? I mean, that is a tough one for me to answer. Um, yeah, it's a big question. I, I, you can take it however you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm also, you know, inside me the whole time. So it's tough for me to have perspective on it. But um, <laughs> no, I, I like to think that like a lot of my experiences, first generation immigrant, you know, coming through like, uh, uh, the typical Beaverwood Highway, one bedroom with my, my grandma, my brothers, my my single mom. Um, it, that type of experience taught me like a ton of just leadership and grit, perseverance. Um, yeah. on what it actually means to um, work hard to get results because you have to. Like when when is it uh, a concern or a complaint that you have to deal with right now, or that's existential? Versus like when do you have to just like get down to work and get things done and and handle things later and like. A lot of my, my personal journey just emotionally has been like, how do I integrate, um, you know, actual happiness? How do I, how do I like uh, realize that, um, uh, what's the right word? Life's not about survival. Life's about like sharing love and happiness with other people. Um, mm. that's, that's been a big part of my, my personal arc. But no, I mean, I, I think perspective is the way that it's been able to help me um, shape the company. Being able to really see even if I don't understand the experience firsthand that someone has been through, see that it does have its own weight, its own um, type of complexity, suffering perspective associated with it and treating it um, equal to my own. I think it's helped me a lot on the empathy side. Um, Super sure. cool. Yeah. Yeah. The hard work, the perseverance, the grit, the empathy, it's huge. I'm curious, when did you have your first kind of wake up to, Oh man, I, I've been operating in this survival mindset and maybe there's an opportunity to embrace this. I don't remember exactly how you how you described it, but th there's more to life than just surviving. The empathy, the connection, that kind of thing. When when did that start to kind of emerge in your awareness? Mm. Sometime over the past two or three years, that was the, more of a shift for me because it was always like, okay, how do we get to the you know first million? How do we get to like how do we make sure that we have like the the cash in the bank to make sure the company survives? How do we do X Y Z thing? And then like talking through with other um, successful, like more successful, far larger companies, uh, CEOs, entrepreneurs, advisors, and mentors, like this core theme kept coming up for me of like, oh, I'm just really focusing on like uh, getting to like optionality to make sure that we can survive the next step as like the be all end all of trying to find safety. And it's like, well, but yes, survival is a prerequisite for being alive. Right, right. Yeah. Be the, uh, the, the end goal. And like, I found myself to personally be a lot more happier and uh, be a tremendously much more effective leader if I focus on like, okay, how can I make sure that we're driving um, not just, you know, a, a paycheck to everyone who's on the Nihilus team, but also like a, a sense of gratification, gratification. Um, yeah. a sense of, of meaning of, even if it's not like, oh, my life's dream is to uh, be working at Nihilus. Um, I, I, I don't ask that, but I, I do ask that like folks feel impact um, of their day to day work. And if, if not, then we should figure out how we can get them there. Did you have to do that for yourself personally? You know, if you're offering that to other people to to take into consideration the, the joy aspect or the fulfillment aspect, did you have to kind of invite that for you as well? Like I'm allowed to have parts of my life that are just gratifying or uh, yeah. filling me up kind of thing? Um, I'll answer that in two ways. Well, the first, I just wanted to clarify that like, I don't, uh, I, I see it as my responsibility as the leader to create the environment in which folks can feel that way. It's not like me literally saying, hey, be fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beatings continue until motivation improves. Like, I just don't, don't know if that uh, <laughs> works that well. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I've um, just on a personal side, I'm a huge, huge business geek. Cause it's, again, it's one of those multi-dimensional things yeah. that real tough to figure out, but so much fun uh, to try to figure out like that deep structure behind it because it comes down to people. Uh, businesses are made out of people. So businesses have to serve the needs of those people. Yeah, Customers are the reason businesses exist. 
and customers are people too. So business have to serve the needs of those customers, of those people as their core functioning. Yeah. Um, and figuring out like the best ways, how can you put together a system of incentives and disincentives that builds the, the outcomes and the culture internally that you want to see? That is such a gratifying, um, like emotional and intellectual problem for me to work on that. Like I, I love the uh, like growing a business problem. You just from a pure operator side of things. Yeah. And then, no, I'm, I'm on the other end, like for myself personally, I'm still working on making time for like other tangential hobbies. Uh, I think I end up uh, doing that, that uh, you know, 10 to 12 hour a day thing. And then um, just chilling out, relaxing, watching some TikToks uh, yes. <laughs> instead of building giant, uh, you know, Lego models or whatever their other folks do. <laughs> that's funny. That's where your mind went. I don't know anybody that builds giant Lego models, but you probably do. Yeah, I don't know. You just for whatever reason, the first hobby that came to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so my work as a performance coach, this is what I typically see with hard chargers, is that they know how to max themselves out, man. They know how to how to have a goal or a problem they're wanting to solve, and just have put ungodly amounts of energy and time into that. But they have a hard time embracing the counterintuitive things that feel counterproductive in the moment, but are productive in the long haul, right? that feel like an expense when really it's an investment. And so that's yeah. why I was curious yeah. for you. Make time for those like um, really important, but not urgent tasks. Exactly. Exactly. And some of that is not just in business, right? So our, we immediately go to business. Yeah. There's things in business that are important, but not urgent. It's like, well, there's things in your life, right? Like your personal health or your sense of enjoyment and f- joy and fulfillment or uh, your relationships outside of work that we segment off. But really, like you said earlier, we can't like they're all integrated. They're all overlapping. If I start getting burnt out at the emotional level, eventually that's going to affect my work performance. That's right. right. You even see the same thing. There's been a trend with Elon Musk, where if you look at his his interviews about five years ago, he was somewhat celebrating his lack of sleep. When they people would ask him, yeah, I get two hours a night. I'm sleeping on the factory floor. They asked him this year about that. And he said, I realized that was suboptimal. And they said, tell me more. And he goes, I realized that the, the, whatever effectiveness I was gaining and staying up later, I was losing and being tired. And so now I make sure I get seven to eight hours of sleep. And I just thought that was an interesting learning curve for him where he realized, actually, if I crunch the real numbers, it's suboptimal for me not to take care of my rest and recovery, right? Rather than just push and, and get two hours of sleep and just keep crunching, keep going, right? Have you yeah. seen some of that kind of, kind of evolution of your thinking towards some of those things outside of the the immediate urgent? Oh, 100%. I mean, um, <laughs> you have to, you have to see yourself, uh, on a personal level, just as a, as a, uh, a system like any other that needs tending to care. And yes. Um, yes. I, I, same for anyone else on the team. I think we try to make sure that we have, um, you know, uh, some extra days in the company calendar where folks can just like unwind and relax that we can like make clear to people like, Hey, take a sick day. If you're having like mental health is exactly under six, like take the time you need to recover mentally, to recover physically. Um, we have unlimited PTO, but, um, often the, the pitfall there is folks just don't take it. So we also have a, um, (laughs) as much as legal will allow me to say a mandatory requirement that folks take, um, you know, two weeks continuous, contiguous time off within the year, um, at least once because you need to disconnect. We try to make sure that like new folks running the team, um, have, breaks between their previous roles so that they're coming in more fresh or with some, some mental clarity. And honestly, things like that pay huge business dividends too. Like it's, yeah. um, if you're making sure that everyone on the team has to be away for at least two weeks, you're making sure that there are no, um, you're reducing your bus factor, making sure there are no like single points of failures on the team that no one can run without. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to, again, another CEO friend. I was saying like, ah, oh, I've been working real, real long hours recently. And he's like, oh, how's your like sleep and, and gym schedule? Oh, well, like I haven't, haven't gone to the gym in like one, like two months at this point. And he's like, oh, cool. So you don't want your company to be successful. Yeah, awesome. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, those non-obvious at first, like these non-obvious connections, right? That once you see them, you start going, no, there is actual... Almost like quant, almost like quantum mechanics, right? There, there are those um, those non-obvious connections that that part of the quark and that part of the quark have that you don't notice until you spin this half and the other half spins at the same time, right? 
it's the same thing as some of these non-obvious connections we have with parts of our life, like taking my rest and recovery seriously, my exercise, you know, my gratitude, things like that. Uh, man, it sounds like he, I want to end with this question before the lightning round, because it sounds like you have you have found some really important mentors and some advisors that have been really critical to not only your personal growth and success, but the same of Nihilus. Someone's out there listening to that. How do you go about, and I don't just mean that some like pure networking way, like email a hundred people, unless that's part of the answer, but like, how do you go about finding people like that and actually attracting them or, or having them be a meaningful part of your, your goals? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm taking a second just cause I, I'm not sure if I've thought about that question before. Yeah. Um, now you could just speak from personal experience. Like, how did you find these people? Like, how did you, how did they come into your life and why are they sticking around? Do you think? Yeah. I like the words you used, um, gratitude because it really touches on like the best way to get yourself out of a, you know, on tilt, more self-centered, more anxious place. Like I, I see, uh, cause I do a little bit of advising for smaller companies. I see a ton of first time, um, entrepreneurs, first time CEOs make the same uh, mistake. I made this one, my first time as CEO, mm. um, you get real anxious and you start micromanaging. You're not sure what you should be doing. So you start doing the things that you think, you know, uh, yeah. and it really like stresses everyone around you out. It creates like this culture where people like don't feel they can make decisions and like it, elevates all the um yeah whatever fear triggers people on the team have around like oh shit why is the ceo at 2 a.m line editing the copy in this uh you know <laughs> double checking uh, my work in this press release i'm about to put out uh, yeah. you know, uh <laughs> i've seen that so many times like people just like hyper focused on like minutiae that does not matter and is specifically what they hired and are paying someone six figure salaries to do wow. it's like what are you doing, man? You're just focusing on your own anxiety. And then for me, like, uh, it's super fucking cliched at this point, but mindfulness meditation, like headspace, I found incredibly useful. And then focusing on the gratitude aspect to say, um, if I'm feeling this way, like, let me look at my life. I started from like literally nothing on Beaver Highway. I've had a universe of very difficult experiences. And then I've slowly been able to build up by, um, taking care of myself, getting myself into a better place, showing empathy for other people, making sure that I'm working on something interesting to others, um, a network of great folks. So it's been um, slowly like saying, we're just reaching out a lot of times. If you say, hey, I am working on this thing. I have this specific problem. I saw that you have uh, this relevant experience. Uh, is there any way that you can give me like 10 to 15 minutes of your time to chat about it? Um, high success with that type of outreach super high success. If you're like a specific, like, Hey, here's who I am super succinctly. Here's uh, what I'm working on. Here's why I think you can help me. I think you have a ton of experience here and I, I look up to what you're doing. Let's chat. Um, if you're available, um, you're not wasting their time. You're telling them why you're wanting to speak with them. You're giving specifics on why you think they can help and, um, people love to help. Uh, so just yes. slowly over time building out that network, um, of like, even people also just love small distractions where they can, exert their own sense of mastery in their day and like let them take a little bit of the mental load off so like make it easy for folks to say yes make it like a very light cognitive load for people to say uh, oh yeah no i mean i have five minutes i saw the email all right yes man i i i love that you talked about the specificity well first i love the gratitude part as well couldn't agree more but the specificity i was just having this conversation with somebody the other day where they're like i'm reaching out to these people and i'm not getting back to them and i'm like all right what are you saying and it was somewhere around the idea of, hey, can I pick your brain? And I was like, when I get those messages, I rarely, I rarely feel motivated to say yes, because I have no clue what we're talking about, why we're talking, why it should take up time in my calendar. But almost anytime someone has done what you did, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I see you have spe specialty in or whatever. Could I take 15 minutes to ask you about A, B, or C? I get excited. Because I know what this is about. It's something I'm passionate about. And of course, I would love to find 15 minutes, right? And all that changed was what you talked about, the specificity, taking the extra time to just be clear with me on why you're reaching out to me in particular and what would be of value to you in that conversation. And I could wrap my brain around it before I even get there. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, completely. I, I'm sure uh, you've had this experience where like, oh, well, I don't know that thing, but maybe you should reach out to that person instead. Yes, absolutely. So it helps I don't think I can help you, but I know someone that can, and then exactly. you can pass that along. Oh, that's so good. All right, Gleb, I want to make the most of your time. Uh, we're coming up on an hour here, and so I want to do, go ahead and dive into the lightning round questions. Five questions we've asked every founder on the podcast so far. So here we roll. Number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Oh, that's that's a tough one. Um, earnest failure is the way progress is made, is the way people learn. So just ingraining that that courage and that growth mindset into everybody in the company. Yeah. I, I think like you, you, you folks get really caught up and like, Oh shit, I made a mistake. I wrote a bad piece of code and I am my code. I built this bad process on the business side as a, as a entrepreneur or CEO. And like, that means I'm bad at business. And it's like, well, no, uh, you did something that was wrong. Yeah. Own that. Like be, next time you're going to do something different. Like failure is not a person. It's an event. Learn from it. Come on. That's so good. Not over identifying with it. I made a mistake versus I am a mistake. You know, exactly. I failed at that versus I am a failure. I love that. Uh, all right. Question number two. It's a two part question. What is the single best advice you've gotten about growing your, your business? And also what was the worst? Mm. I've gotten so much good business advice. Um, I see you're going to say the worst. Like the, the worst advice I would say is that like you have to always uh, find a new exec every year. Uh, I think that's terrible advice. It's like, oh, every year you'll need a new VP of sales. Every year you'll need a new marketing person. You'll just be at a different stage. Um, not because it's not functionally true. Oftentimes, just people specialize at a certain stage. Oftentimes, people like don't want to go on that growth journey with you, and that's that's completely fine. But yeah. I think people take it like axiomatically when what's actually meant is like, or the, rather, the, the way I see it is that you should be focusing on like grow the people you can grow, and figure out whether um, in any like six month period of time whether the next six months are going to be the right place for that person. Mm, that's so good. All right. What comes to mind? Maybe it doesn't have to be the single best advice since you've gotten a lot of great. What comes to mind as good advice you'd like to pass along that was passed along to you? Listen, listen to people. Um, try your best to hear what they're saying. Um, people instinctually, myself, I think everyone, uh, start thinking about what they're going to say next. They start reacting to what's being said. Um, but just like listen to what's being said maybe try repeating it back in your own words to make sure that you confirm. like I, I do this pretty regularly. Um, a lot of my job as CEO is just like asking people, Oh, what's this? What's that? Mm. Um, and I, I try to get, you know, two or three people each time to answer the same question because it gives me a better perspective of what's going around. But whenever I restate, I mean, whether it's uh, with, with one of my partners or um, someone at work, I, Hey, is this what you said? Like half the time they'll say, Oh no, no, exactly. I actually meant something slightly different. It's like, okay. Um, now we're better listening forward. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So important. All right. Number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization today? Mm, Unknowns and surprises, I guess I would say. So, um, all of a sudden when it's, too late to do anything, figuring something out uh, that's wrong, that is the thing that stresses me out the most. Mm. And so like with our leadership team, uh, as much as possible, I focus on this idea of how can we build decision runway for the business? Um, we've got capital runway, obviously, but how can we build decision runway? If my uh, CRO tells me um, in December that we're gonna have a shitty Q4, what can I do about that? I'll just be angry, upset, no one's happy. <laughs> If he's telling me that today, that we're, oh, hey, like Q4 is going to suck. Uh, holy shit. Like everyone's laughing. Yeah. We can we can suddenly do something about it now. Um, it helps build like um, the ability to see the future uh, in a way that uh, a lot of folks get tied into the tactical, tied into whatever they're doing. So just like as much as possible, helping folks lift their head up a bit and saying, okay, yeah, like make a guess. It's not a question of... Um, 
do you have enough data to forecast? It's a question of like you just forecasting in general, like folks hate the idea of like, tell me the future, but it's ultimately like the job of everyone in, in almost any business role. Tell me what's going to happen. Um, I can pull anyone in the company and say, hey, like forecast out my revenue by quarter um, for the next five years. Uh, you have five minutes. They're not going to be right. They're probably going to freak out, but yeah. they'll be able to do it. They'll be able to put numbers down on a page. And that is so important because then it starts building that iterative mental model. You have this big glass house, you keep throwing rocks at it and rebuilding it by going through this iterative thought process over and over and over again. And that's really how you build that decision runway for a business. I've never heard that that axiom or that phrase before. And I really love that expanding or extending your decision runway. That makes so much sense. I'm going to remember that. Okay. Question number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for this company? <laughs> um, on a personal level, uh, it's to prevent... Uh, any more acronyms from entering the business. Um, but uh, no, I guess I would say like, as a business, we have some, some pretty audacious goals, right? We want to own the means of software production. We want to be the place developers go to access hmm. structured data and get something done with it. We want to be the ones powering not just 170 million uh, unique interaction, unique people and their interactions, but every unique interaction and software, every business interaction and software, rather, I should say, um, we want to be powering. And I think that's, that's, um, it's one of those things where software is eating the world and developers are the ones building the software. So let's do everything we can to empower developers to get their job done better. Cause it's one of those, the bar barrier of entry keeps going lower and lower on building software and building businesses. Starlink is going up right now, uh, to provide internet globally around the world. What will right. that mean for, you know, uh, someone out in the Mongolian steppe. What will that mean for someone that's like anywhere trying to get a hold of and access the global economy? I think huge things. Uh, similarly, like uh, we want to make it so that any you know uh, any fresh college grad, any fresh boot camp grad can within a day build something very impactful on top of our APIs. Build like a POC of a functional business app. Um, because we think that will just accelerate the pace of business and make sure that um, opportunity keeps growing worldwide. That's the power of capitalism. Yeah. So good. I love it. All right. Question number five. I hope you'll enjoy it. It's our creative question. It's got a little sci-fi in there, but if you could hop into a DeLorean and go back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would you tell that younger version of yourself? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, back to the future. One of my favorite movies. Uh, when, when we first came over to the States, I don't remember why, but like they, a McDonald's Happy Meal was uh, giving out like Back to the Future, Land Before Time and whatever else on VHS as like a, as a gift. So, wow. boy, so it, it was like the, one of the only movies we had. So I'd watch it like hundreds of times over and over again. Um, I've thought about that question a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I would go back in time to high school and probably say like hey dude you have adhd it's not your fault i think that would have uh, pretty significantly impacted my life <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, how to like better structure my own uh, like mental um workflows and processes in a way that didn't leave me just constantly flogging myself over my own like inability to do xyz thing or distraction or whatever else um but yeah man well, that's maybe well, the less inspirational answer than you wanted but no that's super inspirational because I know a lot of people, myself included, that have struggled with ADD or ADHD and didn't realize that was some of the issue. How, what were some of the things that once realizing what really is the problem uh, or, or the challenge, what did help? Um, medication and therapy. Like, <laughs> yes. but honestly, yeah, yes. it's, that's what it is. It's like, it's um, one of those things where like the medication exists. Uh, ADHD is the most uh, studied um, mental disorder ever in the history of psychology. They're like, I think a order of magnitude more papers on it. Uh, in the 1920s, it was called minimal brain damage, which is fucking great. Uh, <laughs> and just realizing that um, you can get medication, it works super well, but pills don't teach skills. Glasses don't teach you how to read and you have yeah. to do both yeah. parts. Um, yeah. Come on. I love that, man. That's, that's, that actually is gonna be really helpful for a lot of people because for some fucking reason, there's still a stigma for some people that, taking a pill 
is the cheap way out or going to therapy is for broken people and I'm not broken. It's like, hold on, man. Yeah. Those are two really powerful resources, especially when used together, they can really help you unlock a superpower. Cause that's, that's really what you've unlocked for yourself is actually a superpower. Yeah, 100%. You can turn a huge, huge dysfunction into a advantage if you understand what it is. And no, it's same thing. Like, you know, first generation immigrant or, uh, coming from Russia, like uh, no one sees pills as a good thing or mental disorders as something that's real. I was always told you just try harder, just try yes. harder and keep doing it harder. Um, and it doesn't work. Try different. Wow. Yeah, try something else. Try smarter. So good. All right. My last question, just because this always makes me curious about sci fi is how come in sci-fi we can predict so much stuff? Like you look at the technology that they they were predicting in these shows that are we're here now, we're going to be here now, but everybody's bald. Why? How come in the future everybody's bald? Like no one's, we're able to figure out holograms, but we can't figure out male pattern baldness. You got any yeah. theories on that? Uh, I did gotta watch different sci-fi i guess like uh <laughs> check out some, well no hold on i was gonna give cowboy bebop as an example but no jet black he's he's there's always at least a bald character in there yeah i bet you it, it like reinforces like a uh i'll have to check out tvtropes.com to see if it's on there already but like i bet you there's some sort of like character archetype that works really well in sci-fi stories mm. um that like visually it's like a, a short of hand baldness like goes into or like at least short crop hair yeah. Okay. The only I, I can't even take credit for the observation. I heard a comedian talk about that once, mm. and I was like, "That's true." And I started thinking about different shows I'd watch. I was like, "Yeah, they have holograms and space. They can go through a wormhole into space, but they haven't cured male pattern male pattern yeah. baldness." Is that like the yeah. the lack of creativity on the writer's side or what? But well, I uh, bet you it has something to do with like my guess, purely guessing, is that like something about a bald character is always like, "Oh, this is the strong stalwart character." that yeah. like you can rely on um even if yeah. they have like whatever other interests are past that's the one that can like if they're interested get shit done yeah come on well glove this has been so fun man thank you for taking time out of i know what is a very busy schedule sharing your insight and wisdom i know you've upgraded my business iq um and i, I just appreciate you being here today excellent thank you very much founders thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.